So we'll go back to the book of Luke, where we left off last time. A few things happened since we talked last week. Got Israel kind of maybe moving closer to Turkey. Turkey said that they're going to they're going to pursue closer ties with Israel. Israel has, I believe, a memorandum of understanding with uh, Morocco, uh, maybe on defense. I can't remember exactly what it is, but it, uh, it that was this past week. But anyway, we'll get into the word of the Lord. I believe last time we were going over the temptations of Christ and he was just tempted of the devil 40 days and 40 nights. I believe we stopped in chapter 4, 14. Luke chapter 4, verse 14. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit into Galilee, and there went out a fame of him throughout all the region round about, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified of all. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and as was his custom was, he went into the synagogues on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. So if we remember, Nazareth was his hometown. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Elias. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord, this is him quoting from the book of Isaiah, specifically chapter 61, verses 1 and 2. And then there's a add-on of a few lines from Isaiah 58, 6. But anyway, this is quoted from Isaiah, Christ reading. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind and to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. So a few things here. We see that it says he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath as was his custom. So this wasn't the first time he'd done this. And so they may have been up generally they on the Sabbath they would have public readings from the prophets and and especially the Torah, which is uh, the first five books of the Bible. But we see that this was not an uncommon thing for him to do. But at this time it appears that he did a variation of the script because we know that prior to age thirty and being baptized by John the Baptist, we don't know of any of his teachings other than when he was a child in the temple when he was 12 years old. But now he came back to his hometown of Nazareth and he read from the book of Isaiah. This also lets us know that it was common knowledge of these prior books, the, the Old Testament we shall say. A lot of people, Christians especially, say that you don't need to know the Old Testament because... It, the New Testament supplanted it, and that is uh, patently untrue. The Old and New Testaments are one, and then you'll have those of the tribe of Judah who don't consider any of the New Testament to be Scripture. However, here Christ directly links it 
to, and, and many, many other places, he directly links it to the Old Testament. So what is happening in the New Testament and with Christianity? Christianity is a continuation of the religion of the Old Testament. So here we have it linked. It's, um, it's a strange thing here too because he does not continue this quotation. This is only part of it. He stops short. So let's go see where he stops short at. We'll turn to Isaiah 61 verses 1 and 2. Isaiah 61 verse 1. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. And that's what that word gospel means. It means good tidings. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted and to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison of them that are bound to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Now this verse continues, but Christ did not quote this part. And the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all that mourn. So the day of vengeance is the last day or the, the time of the last trumpet. And Christ did not quote that during his reading of the prophet Isaiah in Nazareth. The reason being is it was not yet time for all things to come to an end in the day of the Lord's vengeance. There's something called the first advent, and that is when Christ was alive in the flesh and did all these things in the New Testament, was crucified, resurrected, and rose into heaven. That's the first advent. The second advent is what we look forward to at uh, the time of his returning after all the things that we've learned about, all the, the times of tribulation. And in that time, that will be the day of the Lord's vengeance. And just wanted to make that clear. And Christ also wanted to make that clear because he did not continue to read. We see right here in verse, we'll go back to Luke verse 4 verse 20, or chapter 4 verse 20. It says, And he closed the book and gave it again to the minister and sat down. So he didn't even finish reading that. He closed it. And the eyes of all them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began to say unto them, This day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. And then again we saw that he left off part of it. And all bear him witness and wondered at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, Is this not Joseph's son? See here that his words were very convincing and they were gracious. And all this is his hometown, so all these people have known him for from his youth. I suspect that he was a very quiet child, probably extremely respectful. There's a tradition that that has him traveling with uh, Joseph of Arimathea, but that is just a tradition. We don't know it from the Bible, so he may not have been in Nazareth his whole adolescence and young adulthood. But he was well known to these people. And as I said, he, my opinion, he was probably quiet. And he said unto them, You will surely say unto me this proverb, Physician, heal thyself. 
Whatsoever we have heard done in Capernaum, do also here in thy country. And he said unto them, Verily I say unto you, no prophet is accepted in his own country. And we can see how that would would be common. You've known somebody your whole life and you've seen all the things that they've done as they were growing up. And then they kind of start having a, a revelation or whatnot. And they kind of appear to be a completely different person. And you know that you've known this person. Now, in, in our cases, we dude would probably be a scoundrel his whole life. And so we think that this dude don't know nothing. In Jesus' case, we know that he was sinless and nobody could speak a word against him. However, he was still known to these people and had done no great works at this time. So there's like saying, this guy's been here this whole time and now he wants us to, to believe that he's something special. This is the first they've heard of that. Normally he probably would have, as was the custom, they would have somebody read from the, the scroll and, and not deviate from it. But now he's deviated and he's told them this day that you've heard this uh, prophecy fulfilled. So in the Jewish community, this would have been basically blasphemy. Scandalous. Yes, for, for someone to stand up and say this, especially somebody that they haven't, has never done nothing like this before. And, and they were probably all shocked. Verse 25, But I tell you the truth, many widows were in Israel in the days of Elias, when the heaven was shut up three years and six months, when the great famine was throughout all the land. But unto none of them was Elias sent, this is Elijah the prophet, save to Sarepta, a city of Sidon, unto a woman that was a widow. This is quoting from 1 Kings chapter 17 and 18. Again, this shows that it was common knowledge. The things of the Old Testament, especially the, or in this particular case, the, the histories of the kings of Judah. This story here, Elijah the prophet set up the, the heavens for three years and uh, there was a great famine, and King Ahab, I believe it was, was after him to kill him. And the Lord sent him to this widow, and he offered, he told her to fetch him some water and bake him or bring him a cake to eat. And she fetched him the water, but she told him all that she had was a handful of a meal and a cruise of oil, a, a little bit of oil. And she was about to get the sticks to make a fire and bake the cake and eat the oil for, with her son so that they both could die. And Elijah told her to do like he'd said because as long as there was no rain, that the, the meal and the cruise of oil would not fail. So he was there for quite some time, and she never ran out of oil and meal. And he also ended up resurrecting her son from the dead. Who's that now? Uh, uh, Elijah the prophet. He is one of two people that probably Elijah is known for doing the greatest works. It was said that Elijah, that John the Baptist came in the spirit of Elijah. He was one of two people that was taken up into heaven without dying. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, miracles, strong, powerful miracles performed by Elijah the prophet.
Uh, we'll probably look at it some days. There. I'd like to see, like to see that. Where did you get the New Testament? Old Testament. Old Testament. Yeah, that was um, 1 Kings chapter 17. Okay. We'll do, probably do that after after this. I've always liked Elijah the prophet. Um, let's continue in verse 27. And many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elisha the prophet, and he was the student of Elijah, and he became the main prophet of Israel once Elijah was taken into heaven. So this is a different prophet doing miracles and this comes from second kings chapter five so we have a, another book of the old testament being quoted here granting legitimacy to them and linking the old and new testaments and showing that this is common knowledge and none of them was cleansed saved naaman the syrian and so what happened in this episode is <coughs> Naaman was a general or a, a warlord of the king of Syria, and he had leprosy. And they had taken captive a small girl from Israel, and he, to be his wife's servant, and they found out that he had leprosy. And she said, would that it be that my master was in Israel where a prophet of the Lord could heal him. The king of Syria sent Naaman into uh, Israel, and Elijah the Elisha, the prophet, I don't believe he even came out to meet him. He told him to go wash in the river Jordan seven times, and Naaman got mad because he said that there was better rivers in Syria that he could wash in. But his his servants that were with him told him to go do like the the man said. And because if he came out and made some grand predictions and asked you to do something that was really hard, then you would have you would have done it without questioning. But he just asked you to go wash in the river. So he went down and washed in the river seven times. Now, washing in the river does not get rid of leprosy. It's a, a, it's a miracle. Once, once somebody in those days had leprosy, it was very rare for him to be cured of it. So he was cured as soon as he came out and he came back to the house of Elijah and offered him all kind of gifts and stuff and uh, the prophet wouldn't take none of them and he sent him on his way and uh, Naaman said that from that day forth he'd worship the God of Israel and no other and uh, but then he asked the prophet that when he was with the king he had to go into the the house of another God and and bow down where the king could brace on him the king was probably elderly and he asked would the Lord God forgive him for this because he wasn't worshiping the, the other god or whatnot but he did have to do that for the king and elisha told him to go on his way showing that the lord god does have common sense and you know this is uh this could be misconstrued to say it's okay to go into houses and and worship other gods it's not because the man knew that this was not a real god he just had to put on a show um at certain times, though, it will be incumbent on Christians to actively deny that a certain thing is a god, and at that time they must deny it. Um, and then the end of the story is Elisha's servant. He was kind of greedy, and he heard all the gifts that Naaman offered the prophet, and after he'd left, he ran off and caught up with him 
and he got uh, the Syrian to give him some gifts, and he said that his master, the prophet, wanted them. And so he got him to give the gifts, and then when he came back, uh, the prophet asked where he'd been, and he'd said nowhere. But the prophet knew where he had been. He's like, uh, did not my spirit go with you when you went and asked for all these things? And he said, because you've done this, the leprosy of Naaman will be on you and your house for all generations. And he said it, at that moment, he became white as snow because that's what leprosy did. It, it caused their arms and their flesh to rot, but it turned, it turned them white. It took all the color uh, from their skin. But anyway, continuing on back, Luke chapter 4, after he told them that miracles didn't happen to everybody, basically, that they were only done at certain times. And that goes back to what we were saying about people thinking that the Bible is just full of supernatural miracles. It kind of is, but it isn't as well because we were talking a huge time frame here. We're talking thousands of years. So miracles don't happen, supernatural miracles don't necessarily happen every day, nor to all people. Verse 28, And all they of the synagogue, when they heard these things, were filled with wrath, and rose up and thrust him out of the city, and led him unto the bow of the hill whereon the city was built, that they might cast him down headlong. This is a traditionally thought to be Mount Precipice, which is around two kilometers from Nazareth. It's got an elevation of around 1,200 feet, I think. And if you see a um, a picture from the top of it, it would definitely kill you if you got through off of it. So he enraged these, these Jewish people of his own hometown so much by what he said that they decided they were going to kill him. So they drug him out to synagogue. And they took him a good ways away to throw him off the top of a mountain. Verse 30. But he passed through the midst of them and went his way. So here we have um, supernatural power. At, at some point they became confused as to who they were holding, as can happen in a, a mob. We've probably seen before, say a fight breaks out and... <laughs> we've seen where one part the person they all trying to beat up slips away and everybody's in a ball fighting each other whereas the person that they were trying to beat up has walked out the midst of them <laughs> yeah, so you know exactly what, what it means but in this case Jesus probably employed uh, uh, some sort of supernatural ability to pass through the crowd at other times when crowds were about to crush him he was able to pass through them after his resurrection he also passed through the wall but we can also see that uh, sometimes in a mob people become confused and Jesus just walked right through him he allowed him to take him up to the top of the mountain and then just walked away from him and it says he went on his way verse 31 and came into Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and taught them on the Sabbath days. So Capernaum is up at the, or it was up at the top of, excuse me, up at the top of the Sea of Galilee. And they were astonished at his doctrine, 
for his word was with power. So again, we see there that he is no longer in his hometown and these people do not know him. He is just a man, a, a, a teacher that has shown up and has began to preach in their synagogues and he has astonished them. But he wasn't just preaching. He wasn't just a, a teacher with wise words, though his teachings are the greatest in human history. He was also doing miracles as well. He, he wasn't just some dude that taught. He was able to heal. Verse 33, And in the synagogue there was a man which had a spirit of an unclean devil and cried out with a loud voice, saying, Let us alone. What have we to do with thee, Jesus of Nazareth? Art thou come to destroy us? I know thee who thou art, the Holy One of God. And Jesus rebuked him, saying, Hold thy peace and come out of him. And when the devil had thrown him in the midst, he came out of him and heard him not. And they were all amazed and spake among themselves, saying, What word is this? And with what authority and power he commanded the old unclean spirits that they came out? So we have something here that is kind of uh, strange to modern ears, that someone was possessed of a devil, of a demon. These things happen today. Though they are not around every corner or under every bush. So if the Bible tells us this is correct, did they just stop happening? That, that there is demonic possession? Or does it continue into our time? In, in our day, we have video from all over the world. And so it seems like if these things do happen, then they would be, there would be documentation of them. And in my view, there, there is. And I've watched a lot of conflict in videos and stuff. But you will see in certain cases where people maybe speak with different voices, their eyes are darker. I, I see this a lot in, in what the, the people call the Karens now, the, uh, you know, the women freaking out. They'll, uh, they're clearly in some form of psychosis. When they throw, they'll throw themselves upon the floor. Some of them will speak in other tongues. Uh, some of them uh, get naked and destroy. And they ain't people that you would, and these people are just regular people too, regular women. Uh, some of them, they are probably, uh, but they're, if they are under the influence of a demonic spirit, then their whole life will be turmoil. There's different types of these spirits. Some of them, have do with madness some of them control say the body some of them do with rage some of them do with uncontrolled sexuality uh, lust and things of that nature uh, they all seem to have their their certain thing that they do now not all not all things are demonic possessions but also uh, in drug use it seems that drug use um, but uh, anyway there's demonic possession and then there's mental illness. Sometimes the two seem very similar. But Christ said there was demons. And I know someone who is a very spiritual and very successful man in the world in his cho chosen profession. And he mentioned that 
when you are around people and you have especially have physical contact with someone who has these unclean spirits that it can rub off on you and that it can affect you and that you'll have nightmares and, and things of that nature and i did not know that if this was true until I, i've actually experienced it myself being in contact with someone who has an unclean spirit or whatnot and then, sure enough, you will have nightmares about this thing and perhaps even see it. But we'll, we'll leave it at that. They do exist. And let's look. Uh, also, another place you can see it is in mass hysteria. There is, I believe that this is a form of demonic possession of masses. And they get in the masses, kind of like when we'll read about Christ letting them go into the herd of swine and the herd of swine go wild and they drive themselves off the cliff into the sea. If we look at people in sporting events or in, in riots, normal everyday people may just be sitting around protesting or, or celebrating and it all it takes is like one or two people to start busting stuff and just your regular everyday person that goes to work on their nine to five, pretty soon they're looting and busting out store windows and burning cop cars and destroying the city. And they don't know why they did it. They just get caught up in, in that. And I believe that this is a form of uh, demonic possession. But um, let's see. I haven't checked the exact verse, but I think I know where it is. Let, let me look at Mark really quick to show you that there's a difference. Anyway, I can't find exactly what I'm looking for right now. But it says, uh, I believe it's in Mark, that they brought all the ones that were possessed of unclean spirits and those which were lunatic toward to him. So lunatic would be what we would consider a crazy person now. So there was a, a distinction between those who had unclean or demonic spirits and those which were lunatics, which are crazy people. I'll find it for maybe next week because there is uh, many times that he cast down unclean spirits. Um, they they are. They are. It changes. Yeah, yeah. They are definitely. It makes them easier to possess. And there's different levels of possession. Some of it, I think that we probably all feel it work on us like, Sometimes when we're irrationally mad or, or something bothers us and we got this little thing kind of nudging us along to make it a little worse. And then there are people who are full-blown possessed, like like it'll cast them on the ground or throw them into the fire. Or, um, you know, as in the case of drug addicts, they'll do most anything. And I think that the use of drugs makes it easier for them to become possessed because we see it. We see it in the, in the people walking around here. They see things that are not there, and they hear voices that... We don't know that they're not. Yeah, we don't know that they are not hearing. They're thoroughly convinced that they are hearing voices, and it may be from the other realm that these that's voices are coming. These people, that's another thing with me, and it makes my skin crawl. People tell me they're hearing voices, and I'm like, are they really are they voices? And we're not hearing them? Mm -hmm. so maybe, man, I'm, that's what we're... You know, yeah, those, that, the drug use definitely makes them spiritually and physically weaker and I think they are more prone to be possessed if they are on drugs and for sure it changes their appearance um, I've heard that uh, you can tell when someone is under the 
possession of demons because their eyes appear darker than normal. Okay, so back in Luke chapter 4, we see that the unclean and demonic spirits, they come from the realm uh, where Christ resides and where God resides and, and the things of that nature. And they knew him on earth, but he caused them to be quiet and not to tell the people who he was. Remember, he's just teaching them here, and it was not yet time for him to be revealed. Verse 37, And the fame of him went out unto every place in the country round about. And he rose out of the synagogue and entered into Simon's house. And, some, and Simon's wife's mother was taken with a great fever, and they besought him for her. And he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. And immediately she arose and ministered unto them. So Simon, this will be Simon Peter, uh, his apostle. And so he rebuked the fever, and she was uh, on her sick bed. And immediately it went away from her, and she was able uh, to begin ministering and caring for the, for them. At, at this time, that would probably be mean bringing them food, washing feet, or bringing water to wash feet and things of that nature, just running a household. Um, so we'll stop there from now. But we see not only did Christ teach a very powerful message, he also had the power to do miracles, and none of the people disputed that. There was uh, that is one of the reasons for the spread of early Christianity. It is because of these miracles that Christ and his followers were able to perform that Christianity took hold. Without them, it would the message would have still taken hold. But remember, at this time. Some prophecies were written for that age, and then some prophecies have yet to be fulfilled. Like So when they see prophecies being fulfilled, it, it grants them the knowledge that this is true and correct, and that they believe it their whole lives, even until to the point where they will willingly be killed for it. And they also write it down and pass it on to other people. If they did not believe, nobody would have passed Christianity on to us. So that is one of the, the reasons for the miracles at this time. But um, we'll end there for tonight. Do you all have any uh, questions or comments?